Thank you, brothers. Excellent, Matthew. Excellent use of those eight verses. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brother Chris, for your prayer, and thank you, Stephen, for leading us in singing. Please open the Word of God with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. I have a simple question to ask you today. You've already been asked some questions, but I have a simple question to ask you. And those of you that have circulated among Arminians, you've been asked this question so many times, they don't know what they mean by asking it, and you didn't know when you were among them how to answer it, because they don't understand salvation. But are you saved? Are you saved? God wrote the Bible to comfort his children and to teach them about the salvation he had given them in the world to come and how to live and be successful and happy in this present world, delighting in him and his word. He has not left the answer to this question obscure or difficult for us to find. Are you saved? Do you have eternal life? Have you been delivered from the wrath to come? And will you receive an abundant entrance into heaven? As the description in the Bible says. In 1 John 5, I want to read one verse and make it my chief text, though we will not be referring to it very many times. 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. It is a great text. John wrote it, and it helps us understand the other things John wrote. The other things John wrote are to fulfill this verse, that we might know that we have eternal life, and that we might do some of those things more than we had to increase our assurance of eternal life. This is the most important question for your life. Are you saved? No other matter at all in your life even comes close to this need. Jesus told his apostles the greatest blessing and gift in their lives was that their names were written in heaven. Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. They came back after casting out devils and were rejoicing, saying, Lord, the devils are subject unto us in thy name. When we use your name, the devils obey us. Jesus said, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Amen. Do not think of this topic, my question, or this sermon as mere doctrine, concept, or theory. It is a personal warning from God to you. Right. Are you saved? We studied Romans 1 over the last three weeks, which graphically described God's wrath on sinners. No one needs to be in doubt about eternal life if they trust his glorious manual for assurance of faith. If I were to say you were saved to heaven by inviting Jesus into your heart, I would be a heretic and a liar. Nowhere is that taught or hinted at in the Bible. Right. Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, is not written to sinners to get saved. 
it is written to the church at Laodicea, telling them that they were lacking the most important thing as being a church, and that was personal and intimate fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That verse is all about fellowship, Revelation 3.20, and nothing about salvation. If I were to say you are saved to heaven merely by believing, I would be ignoring all the believers in hell. The devils believe and tremble. Jesus met believers all throughout the Gospel of John, and then he told us they were children of the devil. John chapter 8.30 verses John 8.44. If I were to say you are saved to heaven by being baptized, I would be ignoring the many baptized in hell. Like Judas Iscariot. If I were to say you are saved to heaven by being a church member here, I'd be lying against the Bible. Because you're sitting in this room, because you're watching by live stream, does not mean at all that you're saved. Let me limit myself to five different witnesses and their warnings. John, here, Peter, James, Paul, and Jesus. I don't want to be complicated. Forgive me for usually having too much material. You need to be saved. Judgment day is approaching. Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, it's nearer than when I believed. If Paul could say and use the word nearer in his life, what about us? Judgment day approaches when God will judge all men and you by his holy standard, and you will not play games with that judge. You will not hide anything from him. Men do all in their power to ignore this threat and get distracted with irrelevant junk of this world. Consider the incredible fear and waste of time thinking about COVID-19 while ignoring hellfire. The danger of COVID-19 is so insignificant that it can be ignored and mocked in comparison to this. This is real. It affects everyone. It's eternal. And the torment is immeasurable. Honest Christians will admit with me that worldly activities dull our thoughts of this future event. We get so wrapped up in the treadmill of life that we forget this event. This is why we have met this morning to be reminded of this event. Jesus Christ is coming in flaming fire with his mighty angels to wreak vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel, obey not the gospel, obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Persons with their names in the book of life will be taken into heaven and avoid judgment. The book of life is the list of beneficiaries of the everlasting covenant that God made in his electing grace before the world began. The Bible tells us that our names were written in the book of life before the world began twice. In Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8, we know that God set his purpose and grace on us. If we're saved before the world began, we know that we were chosen in Christ before the world began. If we're saved. If we're saved. Names not in the book of life. We'll have other books opened. It will be the books of their works. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15 describe it. 
for those whose names are not in the book of life. They will hear their sins listed and eternal torment announced. It will sound like this. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It will sound like this. Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It will sound like this. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The contrast is this bad. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The contrast is this bad. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The contrast is this bad. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into life eternal. The warning sounds like this. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Yea, I say unto you, my friends, fear him. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you saved? Are you saved? John's warning. 1 John 5, 13. I've called it John's warning. It could be John's witness. It could be John's evidence. I like the word warning for my purpose today. John's warning. Verse 13 is a great place to start. Let me read it again. These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God. That name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Most of us spent a small or large part of our lives in Arminian Christianity under Arminian preaching. This would be a sufficient soundbite for them to make an invitation and get some emotional decision out of a person, write today's date in the flyleaf of their Bible, and tell them that now they could know they're saved, and once saved, always saved. Those are heresies. They are not taught in the Bible. John said, These things have I written unto you, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. What things did he write? And so I gave you 1 John 2-4 through to read last night, so that you would find a few more things 
than just believing on Jesus of Nazareth as the Son of God. And these things are not difficult. And if you've been saved, the Spirit of God is in you, and these things just come forth with a little bit of encouragement from us. As you read last night in 1 John 2 through 4. So what did, what did John mean when he said, These things have I written unto you, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Let me show you how you can prove that you're saved. You just heard one proof this morning. How much corroboration did Matthew and I have with his psalm and my sermon? None. But you heard one. Are you vexed by the wickedness of the wicked? Do you delight in his commandments? Do they make you happy instead of the world? So let's call that number 19. I've got 18 for you. And I don't need much time, I hope. 1 John chapter 2. There wasn't any corroboration between Austin in the front row leading the men in prayer in the back room this morning either. Now he did read some chapters last night, but it won't hurt us to hear these things again. John said, these things have I written unto you. What things did he write to them that they could know they have eternal life? Let's start. Chapter 2, verse 3. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Oh, so it's a whole lot more than just believing on Jesus. It's keeping his commandments. His commandments involve your time. His commandments involve your speech. His commandments involve your thoughts. His commandments involve how you work on the job, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your children, how you treat your parents, how you treat your government. Oh, oh, so it's bigger than just believing on Jesus and making some emotional decision at a youth lock-in. Yes, it is. A decision for Jesus is never taught anywhere in the Bible. Paul did not say at the end of his life, and he did give his testimony at the end of his life, how he knew he was saved. And he gave us three measures of how he knew he was saved. He did not say, on the Damascus road, I called Jesus Lord. He did call Jesus Lord on the Damascus road. The Damascus Road was not when Paul was saved. Paul gave evidence of his salvation this way. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Thereby I know that is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge of all, will give me, and also all them that love is appearing. Are you fighting a good fight? Are you keeping the faith? Are you finishing your course? Paul did. Paul knew he was saved. So we start out with commandments. Look at verse 4. He that saith, I know him, and my brethren, my brethren here and my brethren by live stream, and my brethren later that would hear this sermon. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. He is not saved. He does not know God if he doesn't keep God's commandments. And I could keep reading because verse 5 backs up verses 3 and 4, and verse 6 backs up verses 3 through 5. 
But let me jump to verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I don't need to read the next two verses, though I could. I want this to be brief and simple. Hate the world is another measure. Love of God over love of the world. Hatred of this world. Hatred of its things. Hatred of its soap bubbles that deceive you and take you away from the love of God. Then we come to verse 28 in this second chapter. And now little children abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And there is no reason for you to be ashamed before him at his coming because you invited Jesus into your heart. No, that is not what the Bible says. It says, if ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Well, who is a born-again person? A born-again person is someone who lives a righteous life like God is righteous. Because then you show that you have his character of your father. Every one of you bear the character traits of your father on earth, your biological father, certain character traits of him. And when we're born again, we are recreated in Christ Jesus so that we bear character traits of our father in heaven. And the chief character trait is righteousness. Are you saved? Keep his commandments. Hate the world. Live righteously like your father. Look at chapter 3. Chapter 3. I'll go to verse 10 in my effort to simplify. In this the children of God are manifest. That means made plain and simple and obvious. And the children of the devil, made plain, simple, and obvious, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So there's a shift here from saying the righteousness of 228 and 29 and adding to it love of the brethren. But I want to get something else out of this section. Look at verse 6. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. You are not saved if you keep on sinning without stopping your sinning and repenting from it. This doesn't mean absolute perfection from sin because the first chapter told us that if any man say he has no sin or has not sinned, they're liars. And chapter 2 and verse 1 says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. This is continuing in sin without repenting and reforming. So you've got to stop sinning. And you've got to love the brethren and have righteousness. Look at 14 and 15. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we made a decision for Jesus. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we were baptized. No. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we believe in election and predestination and that regeneration occurs before faith like they do in the church of Greenville. No. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And, and Jesus Christ with his mighty angels are coming for you. Verse 18. My little children, let us not love, and this is loving the brethren in word, that's talking about it, neither in tongue, that's talking about it, but in deed and in truth. 
And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How do we know that we're of the truth? Because we can write extensive outlines of the truth like your pastor? No. We know that we are of the truth because we love the brethren. Love is the greatest evidence in the Bible. Faith isn't. Faith is what devils have. Devils do not have love. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Love is by far the greatest evidence of grace because it is the greatest transformation in a person from their selfish, bitter, grudge, hateful way of living filled with malice and envy like the Apostle Paul said about himself to one of loving, forgiving, selfless, sacrificial living for another person, forbearing and overlooking and enduring all their offenses towards you. Love is the greatest evidence. Verse, uh, chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Brotherly love, like God loves. God is love. And you show the character of your Father in heaven, that you're born again, you have eternal life, and you're going to spend eternity with your Father by showing His character trait, His chief character trait, as given to us here, that we can have, and that is love. God is love. Yes, in chapter 1, for those of you that can remember everything I've ever preached since I was ordained, 40, 35 to 40 years ago sometime, Yes, in chapter 1 it says he is light, and in him is no darkness at all. But for right now, in these chapters, the evidence is not holiness, it's love. These things have I written unto you, John said. Well, what did he write? He wrote keeping his commandments, loving him over the world, hating the world, having righteousness like God's righteousness, no longer sinning without repentance and reformation, but loving the brethren and living in righteousness, and loving the brethren, and loving the brethren, and loving the brethren. And so we come to verse 14. And let's go to 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Let me pick an easier one again. Are you willing to open your mouth and testify and declare and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord? Verse 14 tells us, And we have seen and do testify, the apostles weren't ashamed, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. That's the evidence of eternal life. Are you willing to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ? Chapter 5 and verse 1. Whosoever believeth, there we have faith. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, that's God, loveth him also that is begotten of him. That's the saved brethren sitting around you. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Faith, love of the brethren, and keeping his commandments in these three verses. So when you get to 1 John 5, 13... And it says, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. There's more to it than the first clause of the 13th verse. There's what he's written for four and a half chapters. Are you saved? 
If you have a grudge against a brother, you're not saved. You say, I want to be saved. Then repent of, repent of your grudge. Reform. Chapter 3 says you wouldn't do it. Verses 6 through 10. Are you saved? My job, and I never asked for this job, and I never sought this job, nor did I ever buy this job, nor did I ever pursue this job. I did everything in my power to go to Tarsus. Is to warn you today. Let's go to the second witness. 2 Peter chapter 1. Are you saved? The wrath is coming. The world, the world has distracted everyone with this little innocuous flu. Instead of worrying about the dreadful thing that is coming, which will affect the whole planet, what will be the death rate of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? 1% of 1%? 100% of 100%, however you want to say it. 100%. What, will be the, how, what kind of death will it be? It is called the second death. It's being cast into the lake of fire, created and prepared for the devil and his angels. They will be your companions. They will be the music you listen to in hell. Hell is called the mist of the blackness of darkness forever and the lake of fire. It is a combination of blackness and darkness and loneliness and the burning concept of fire on your skin and drowning combined together in one. That's our Lord's creativity with words. Peter's warning. Now Peter said in verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Faith is not something that you work up. The natural man cannot work up faith. Faith is something that we obtained. It was given to us. And God's chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, James 2.5. So Peter knows all about faith. And he puts it in verse 1. But he is not going to stop with verse 1 like Arminian preachers do. As long as you've had faith, and as long as you invited Jesus in, and I'm sorry for repeating myself, but I don't want you to put any false hope in any decision you ever made in your life. Your assurance of salvation is the life that you live after that. And until the day you die, that's your evidence. It's not how we earn our way into heaven. It's how we show to our own selves, and we make heaven sure for us by evidence, by the result, by the proof of it. Peter didn't stop with verse 1. He comes down to verse 5, and he says, Beside this, once in a while when your pastor preaches on hell, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. Look what he says in 2 Peter 1.5. And beside this, giving all diligence. How much diligence should you give to what I'm preaching right now? All diligence. I've already covered 9 out of 18 because John is rich in it. The evidence of eternal life. But I'm now at Peter. And Peter's got a few unique ones for you. And he says, give all diligence 
Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you have heard the gospel. Well, that is a blessing indeed. You have heard the gospel, and so you have some knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But to avoid being unfruitful, that's just having a few pieces on your branches. In order to be, not be barren, that's having none on your branches. You need to do these eight things. This is what the Bible teaches. These eight things are the evidence of eternal life. And faith alone is not the evidence of anything. Because my next witness is going to destroy faith by itself. What do I think of sola fide? I think it's a heresy of the Reformation. Why would you say something so terrible? Because Martin Luther didn't have a clue. And he's the one that invented it. He had so little of a clue... He said the, ep the epistle of James was an epistle of straw. And he doubted its apostolic authority. It didn't belong in the Bible. Go look it up. You know, I can't say anything anymore that you can't Google, even while I'm preaching on your little phones. You can Google it and check Martin Luther, epistle of James. You'll be able to read all you need. Sola fide. Do you know why? Because for a Catholic monk that was as mixed up as he was and believed infant regener baptismal regeneration for infants the entirety of his life, he found Romans 1.17 and it said, the just shall live by faith. And that was everything he needed. Sola fide, faith only. Uh-uh. James is going to take apart faith only and Peter's taking apart faith only right here because he says, give all diligence to keep your faith, because that's all you need. Give all diligence to add to your faith. And then he lists seven other things. Those things are virtue, the noble strength and moral purity to do good and to do right at all times. Virtue. The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. He will have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Why did I quote from Proverbs 31? Because she's the virtuous woman. That's where virtue is defined in the Bible. Virtue, the noble strength and moral purity to do good and do right at all times. Knowledge, understanding and approving the excellent things of God's will and doing them. Temperance, self-discipline to rule your bodily passions and emotions and moods and reject fleshly lusts in order to obey God. Patience, cheerfully enduring negative events in life to faithfully serve Jesus Christ anyway. Godliness, religious sobriety to conform to God's will against worldly seduction. Brotherly kindness, affectionate efforts to honor and serve brethren over yourself. Charity, loving, merciful forgiveness of others' offenses and help when they need it. Oh, wow, that's quite a few things. And so look at what he says. If ye do these things, you're increasing in probability of being saved. No. In verse 
8, it says, For if these things begin you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 10, Give, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Right. You'll never fall. You'll never be ashamed. You'll never be confounded. You say, but I can't do those things perfectly. Okay, every day that you're imperfect, confess it to God and ask Him to help make you perfect. And then you're perfect. Because He forgives your imperfection. Right. Press on in these things. Amen. Are you saved? It's coming. You know, some of you have masks on in here. I had one on a few minutes ago. I want to say it again for the third time. Really? Really? 1% of 1% of having a cough and a runny nose? Wow. Hell fire's coming. Everything is going to melt with fervent heat and the universe is going to melt and be burned up. He did it once with water. He's doing it this time with fire. If ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Do you know how many pulpits are saying today, there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing that you have to do, just believe on Jesus. If you'll make a decision for him right now and invite him into your heart, then you can know that you're saved, and once saved, always saved. Nothing else matters. You don't have to live for him. You don't have to do anything for him. You don't have to be baptized. Just invite him into your heart. But this is what the Bible says. And so wherever there's a verse in the Bible that says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you're supposed to understand that that one verse is one verse out of 31,102 verses and read the other 31,101 to find out what is supposed to follow belief on Jesus. And what is to follow belief on Jesus? All the things in 1 John 2, 1 through 5, and 2 Peter right here. Lord, thank you for your precious word. If these eight things are in you and all eight are abundant, then you are a fruitful Christian. You should be very diligent about these eight things. They prove election. In verse 10 it says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You can prove that you're elect by these eight things. Let's go over to James. I didn't finish 2 Peter 1 the way I should have because it says if you do these eight things, you will get an abundant entrance into heaven. Right. Wow. So you won't be sneaking in by the skin of your teeth. You'll get an abundant entrance by doing those eight things because those eight things show the character of the God that saved us, Amen. character of the Son that died for us, when we do those eight things and abound in them. Why do we have a church? To help each other abound in those eight things. That's why we have a church. It's not to hear me. It's only part of it. It's to encourage each other to do those eight things. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. The eight things. The nine things of John. James 2. 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Of course faith can save him. Because once saved, always saved. Sure. Faith is enough. James says it isn't. James says it isn't. 
James was an inspired apostle and says it isn't enough. Can faith save him? That's a rhetorical question. The answer should be so obvious that you don't need my help answering it. The answer is no. What did it profit, my brethren? Though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? No, it can't. And here's his, here's his illustration. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, now that's a starving naked person with no food or clothing, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? What profit is there with a naked person who's starving to death, and you say, Be warm, clothes, be filled. But you don't give them clothes, and you don't give them food. Food. What are the profit? Zero profit. James, you, James used that description to describe, I believe on Jesus without works. When, when I describe that one to you, you're all getting upset. It's, it's not real. It's an illustration. Because anybody that would do that, you'd think of him as such a cruel, lying, hypocritical person. But that's a person that says, I believe in Jesus without a changed life full of works. And we've, met, we've already been through two witnesses with lots of works. Verse 16, verse 17, verse 17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. What do you do with something that's dead? Bury it. It's not where your hope should be if you're going to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Oh, I love the one man. He says, I'll show you my faith. Look at my works. Look at what I've done because I believe in Jesus Christ. I live like Jesus Christ. I think like Jesus Christ. I speak like Jesus Christ. I testify of Jesus Christ. Your faith has nothing. Show me your, show me your faith. Let me show you mine. This is James reasoning through it. Thou believest that there is one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Well, at least you got started. Now you're up to a devil. Our young brother this morning asked, are you up to Lot? Can you work up your Christianity to be equal to Lot? I'm asking you if you can work your Christianity up to be equal to the devils. I don't think you can. Because the devils believe... And what do they do as a result of their belief of Jesus Christ? They tremble. Because they know who he is, and they know what he's going to do to them. And when he was on earth, they would fall at his feet and worship him, though he was in a state of humiliation while in this world. They knew who he was, and they would say to him, We know thee who thou art. Thou art the Son of the living God. Art thou come to torment us before the time? They knew all that, and they trembled. Most Arminians don't tremble. They get up and once saved, always save, and run out and live like they did before. The best studies that have ever been done on those that have made decisions at Billy Graham Crusades are 2% are living as outward Christians afterwards. Look me up. Look it up. That's a terrifying verse in verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. I do believe that there is one God. Well, so far, so good. You're up to a devil. Well, what am I going to do after that? I want to add 1 John 2 through 5. I want to add 2 Peter 1. I want to add James 2. Wilt thou know, O vain man? That it's a vain talker. Arminians are vain. 
that without faith works is dead? That faith without works is dead, forgive me. That faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And everybody's going to grab their Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3, go to Romans chapter 4, go to Genesis chapter 15. In all three places it says, And Abraham went outside and God said, So shall I seed be. He looked at the stars, and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Well, now that was an event in the middle of Abraham's life. And James ignores that event in Abraham's life because James doesn't have the same theological purpose in writing that Paul did in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3. And you should all know that. Paul had a theological purpose and a theological enemy that he had to destroy in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3, and that was Jewish legalism that put all their salvation on keeping Moses' law. And so Paul destroyed their confidence in Moses' law by going back to the fact that God said Abraham was justified by faith in Genesis 15, 6. But Abraham was a righteous man long before Genesis 15, 6. He was a righteous man in chapter 11 and chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now what do we have here? James says Abraham was really justified later in life when he took a 16-year-old Isaac, bound him, put him on an altar, and raised the knife to slay him. And he was going to slay him because he knew that God could keep his promises through Isaac by raising Isaac from the dead. That's what the Bible tells us. He wasn't faking it with the Lord. I'm going to raise my knife here and the Lord's going to look and say, oh, I got to stop this. No, he was going to kill his son Isaac because that's faith with works. All of a sudden, Genesis 15, 6 fades into total oblivion. Abraham comes out. I can't even count them, Lord. There's so many. Well, your seed's going to be like that. Okay. Wow. In comparison to this, and so this is why James writes what he did. Was not Abraham our father justified by works, ignoring Genesis 15, Romans 4, Galatians 3, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Ah, so that later event proved that the faith of Genesis 15 was real, because when push came to shove and he had to make a sacrificial he had to pay something dear and make a sacrifice for the Lord. He was willing to do it. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. That's Genesis 15 that I've referred to several times. And he was called the friend of God. But it wasn't fulfilled until he had to pay a price for it. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. So if you don't have a life that is showing a bunch of sacrificial things that you have given up for Jesus Christ, you have no evidence of eternal life. How about Rahab? She's next. Likewise, just like Abraham, verse 25, likewise, also, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What is a body without the spirit? A corpse. What do you do with a corpse? Bury it. What is faith without works? Bury it. It's a corpse. It's worthless. It's dead. It's what devils have, and it's not going to save them from the lake of fire prepared for them. Rahab. Rahab was justified by works by lying to the magistrates of her city in order to protect the lives of the spies that had come to spy out the city of Jericho. And she sent them on a different way while she told the policemen of her city they went that away. And she sent them out a different way. You say, that's terrible. Are you preaching lying from your... I've done that before. 
this shouldn't surprise anyone. None of you are ever going to have a reason to lie to a policeman. That's a generalization that I've made that is absolutely true for you until you come and give me some situation that's different. So always tell the policeman the truth. But Rahab was in a situation where God's spies were going to be killed. And so she didn't do anyone any harm. She didn't harm the policeman. They just went a different way, and she saved the spies. And so the Bible put this woman of Canaan, this prostitute, this wicked woman named Rahab, it put her in James 2, it put her in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, and it put her in Matthew chapter 1 because she is a grandmother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. Let's go to the next one, Paul's, in 1 Thessalonians. First, are you saved? Are you saved? These are the things. We can meet Jesus Christ expectantly, excitedly, and admire him in that day. But it's not just because you're in this church. It's not because I might baptize you. It's not because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a whole lot of more to it than that. Because that belief in Jesus as the Son of God, if Jesus is really God's Son that visited earth, who was the creator of all things, it'll change your life. And so that's what's understood by these passages. It'll change your life. You'll do anything for him. And that's real belief. First Thessalonians, did I take you here earlier this morning? Did we come to verses 6 through 10? Well, let me show you something that Paul, as soon as he opened his epistle, his first epistle to this church, this is what he said about them. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. We know that you Thessalonians are saved because you did three things that are obvious to us as the evidence of election. The first place that you ever want to go to prove your election or to help another person prove their election is 2 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 11. And we were just there a little while ago. The second best place to go is right here. Because this says specifically, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. And it gives three things. It gives the work of faith. See, I've got them in this order because now that you read this, you say, oh yeah, this makes sense with James and with Peter because you're to add to your faith and faith without works is dead. And so Paul just comes along and says, your work of faith. That means you did things and paid prices and gave up things and, and lived a sacrificial life because of your faith. The work of faith, not the words of faith. The words of faith are irrelevant. It's the work of faith. And this church had been persecuted severely by its city and accused of false things. And who knows what they lost? Who knows how long they were in prison? Who knows how many had been martyrs? So it's the work of faith. I love this little list. And labor of love. See, it's not just brotherly love and charity, which, mind you, top off the list in 2 Peter chapter 1. Do you want to climb up to the top level of evidence of eternal life and salvation? It's love. Brotherly love and charity are at the top. Charity is when you forgive other people and you love just forgiving them and just loving forgetting about it and moving on. You know, for you to forgive somebody else is irrelevant because they've all forgiven you 10 times what you have to forgive them. Do it. God's forgiven us 10,000 talents. Why can't we forgive someone 100 pence? 
and labor of love. So it's love that works. It's labor that's running around, helping people, taking them out, entertaining them, slipping them money, forgiving them, doing good things for them, the labor of love. Always wanting to serve. And then it says patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Patience of hope. Remember what patience was from 2 Peter 1? Patience is cheerfully enduring negative events by an outlook toward heaven. Patience of hope. Your hope in heaven means you can cheerfully endure anything that happens in this life because anything that happens in this life is irrelevant to eternity in heaven. Paul would say something about our light affliction in comparison to the eternal weight of glory. Light affliction compared to the eternal weight of glory. There's no comparison. So this is what a person does who's truly saved. Are you saved? The work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. Knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. And let's get the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. This is the judge of all, for God has committed all judgment to his son Jesus. Most Christians' concept of Jesus in looks and in character totally contradicts the Bible. They know Jesus purged the temple, but they cannot visualize his sweat and his strain doing it. They can only quote, judge not that ye be not judged. But Jesus is the judge of all. Why did I mock that verse of Scripture? Because they never read the context of that verse of Scripture, which is all about making judgment. And it tells you exactly what it means with judge not. Don't judge hypocritically and don't judge impartially. And judge impartially and don't judge in a, with a mean streak overlooking your own sins. And so it goes on to say about the moat in your eye and the beam in, the beam in your eye and the moat in someone else's eye and so forth. That's all they can do. They can quote, judge not. That's, that's their Jesus. Because they don't know that Jesus is about to be revealed from heaven in flaming fire with his mighty angels taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They should see the sweat flying off his forehead and his arm knotted up and him getting a pump from using that scourge. He sat down and made that scourge carefully because he wanted it to inflict the maximum amount of pain that he could. In that amount of time, he kicked over their tables and chased them out of the temple. That's my Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry if you don't like him. You're going to meet him anyway. And he's going to be like that. Not that long-haired John Lennon guy that you have in pictures. That's a Catholic caricature from the devil himself. That man couldn't fight his weight of a wet paper bag if I punched the hole for him. The straight gate narrow way is the context of this verse right here. It's verses 13 and 14. It tells you right there that there's a, there's a straight gate. That's a, like a straight jacket. It's strict. It's restrictive. It's holy. And it leads to life. And then in verses 24 through 27, it describes a man's house being built on sand. And that's just believing without keeping. That's just calling on Jesus as Lord, but not keeping his commandments and doing the will of the Father in heaven. That house is falling flat. That is the destruction of a life. 
in the great day of judgment. Are you saved? Are you saved? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let me close with this. Lord, help me close. Lord, seal, seal your word in their hearts and their minds. Please, Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 6. My brethren that have heard me today, what should you do? Believe and obey. Trust and obey. Hate your faults and sins and confess them. He'll forgive them right now. What should you do? Remember this list of apostolic words with apostolic intentions. And there's 18 of them plus one from the psalm this morning. So you have 19. There's 18. Do you want to do a little Bible study? Then go to 1 John and read it. Gave it to you last night for preparation. Go to 2 Peter. Go to James. Go to 1 Thessalonians. And don't allow duplication except love. You can duplicate that a couple times because the Lord duplicates it so many times. And get yourself a list of 18 or 20 things. And then know and tell the Lord. Lay it before Him. Write down the list and lay it before Him. I didn't want you writing today. I thought long and hard about a list today. I didn't want your heads down with you trying to figure out what goes in the next blank. I wanted you thinking about what I'm saying. Lay that list before the Lord and tell Him, I want these things in my life. I have a desire for these things. I understood the sermon about these things. Give me the strength and help me do these things. And I will stand up right now and start doing them. Then stand up and go do one of them. What would Paul tell Timothy to know he was saved? Timothy, I know that you invited Jesus into your heart at your grandmother's knee. Paul knew about his grandmother. Paul knew about his mother. No, no, no. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Verse 11. But thou, Timothy, but thou, O man of God, flee these things of loving money in the previous five verses and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Flee the things of this world. Follow the list of things given right there, and fight the good fight of faith. And by fleeing and following and fighting, lay hold on eternal life. Jesus saved some from the wrath to come. Are you fully his by faith and obedience? He will never cast out those that truly come to him. And those that come to him and then obey him, they will never be lost in time or eternity. For whosoever shall believe on him shall never be ashamed, shall never be confounded. World without end. Amen. Please stand with me. Holy Father, we deserve the wrath that is coming. We as a race, we as a church, we as individuals deserve the wrath that is coming. We humbly confess it to thee, but we thank thee through Jesus Christ our Lord that you have made a way of escape, not for us to cooperate in our salvation, but for Jesus Christ who paid for all our sins and who intercedes for us 
and will save us with an everlasting salvation. And we thank Thee that Thy Word is so clear, so plain, so true, to show us what we should add to our faith and these things that we should do so that we will never fall, but that we will gain an abundant abundant entrance into heaven. Heavenly Father, I can only pronounce, enunciate, convey the words. You must affect the hearts and the minds. Oh Lord, you must open the hearts of Lydia's. You must convict and reconvict where needed. That we will all humble ourselves before the word of God and that we will prepare for this coming judgment. We thank thee, Heavenly Father, for thy word this day and all that we have done in the time that we've had already. Let it bear fruit. Let it bear much fruit in these lives. We thank thee for the food that you have faithfully provided for us. We thank thee for this change in weather this morning, so dramatic but so confirming of your promise to be faithful. You have never failed. We have failed thee, and we ask you to forgive us our failures and to strengthen us in all these things and help us to remember them, that we will add to our faith all these things and thus by our works confirm our faith and show our true love of thee and our commitment to thee. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.